0: I invite you to turn today in the book of Ezekiel, our scripture reading will be a whole chapter in Ezekiel, but I will be just hitting a couple of sections of it, and I invite you to keep your Bible open on your lap, or with your finger, or your thumb, or your hand, or those of you who have an electronic Bible, I don't know what you'll do with that, but to keep uh, the chapter open to Ezekiel chapter 1. And this is God's word today, beginning in verse 1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kibar Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And then reading for verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse of their wings were stretched out one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering his body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. This is God's word today. Brothers and sisters, we come now into the presence of a holy and mighty and glorious majestic God, the God we serve, the one true living God is absolutely holy and mighty and glorious. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we must wholeheartedly put our faith in this God and in his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us not miss that today. As we look into our passage in Ezekiel, into God's holy word, we will see living beings with multiple wings and faces. We will see glowing wheels. But let us not, as they say, miss the forest for the trees, because we should come away inspired and moved by Ezekiel's vision of God and God's holiness. And most importantly, in the day that we have today of false gods and idols, and we have them in our culture, in our time when many bow the knee to the gods of ideologies, worldly philosophies, we Christians must always recall to mind the glory of the God we serve. So let us and you, Eastbridge, have a renewed vision today on this Lord's Day of the glory majesty of the God we serve, the one true God. So let us consider first, what is it, what do we mean, and what is it when we speak of the glory of God, and that is a phrase that's often used, the glory of God. Well, we can speak of this in several ways. The glory of God is his being exalted, high above us and above his creation on earth, the glory of God is his absolute perfection, sinlessness, holiness. The glory of God is his unquenchable radiance. And we will see this today in the words of the prophet Ezekiel, written so many years ago. The glory of God includes his being omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, meaning all-knowing, and omnipresent, everywhere, not bound by space and time like we are. And the glory of God is shown in his perfect love toward his chosen people, his elect, and his perfect justice toward the unrighteous. And the Bible unmistakably shows us both. And for believers in Christ today, we can rest in God's perfect love for us, you and me, those of us, who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation. We Christians often speak in terms of doing something to the glory of God. And I heard that the great composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, and I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard somewhere that he would often sign his compositions with the letters SDG, meaning in Latin, soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. Doing things to the glory of God means for us lifting up God in praise with our words and our actions. And even the normal daily routine that you go through, you do to the glory of God with your words and your actions and the way that you speak and the way that you relate to those who are not believers outside of the church. We understand the glory of God in question four of the Shorter Catechism. Many of you are familiar with this, and you'll recognize the words. The question is, what is God? And the answer, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So let us remember this today as we look into this chapter in Ezekiel. And be mindful of the glory and majesty of God. Our scripture passage today was written by a prophet named Ezekiel. He is considered one of the major prophets in, along with Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, and Daniel. That is, he was a prophet who was called to be a herald of God's word to the people. He was the preacher. He was the evangelist and the teacher of his day But Ezekiel was first called to be a priest. And there is an important detail we read about him in the first verse of our passages, our passage. It says, in the 30th year. And likely this means this was how old Ezekiel was. Most commentators think that Ezekiel was in his 30th year when he began to write. He says, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar canal. And perhaps you may have read over that verse and not picked up on the fact that Ezekiel was in exile. His people, his nation, had been conquered by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and they had been taken away into exile to Babylon. Ezekiel's people in Judah, they had been exiled because of their violation of God's covenant. They had repeatedly turned away from the Lord. They had looked to false gods. They had... Uh, Corrupted their worship in the temple and they had disobeyed God's word. It is a sad and tragic story of what happens when God's word is disobeyed, when people turn away and rebel against the Lord. If Verse 1 does refer to Ezekiel's age, and again, most commentators believe that it does. Then he, Ezekiel was exiled just at the time when he was to start his priestly ministry because priests normally began their work around the age of 30. So imagine what perhaps Ezekiel felt and what he went through and the mourning for his own future. How, how could he serve as a priest? when he had been taken away captive into exile, and there was no more temple. Let us think about two points in the opening verses of chapter 1. And number one is that God will punish disobedience. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will not allow sin to go unpunished. Nahum 1.3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Though you may not see it today, God will punish those who turn away from his law and who are not truly repentant. If you're in Christ today, you know that Jesus has taken all of your punishment. But rest in the fact that God is a righteous and holy judge, and he will not overlook sin. And he will judge, and he will bring right out of sin, And out of wrong. But as believers today, we can rest and you can rest in the fact that Jesus has taken your judgment on himself. And number two, God works his purposes even through his judgment. Verse three, we read that God called Ezekiel to a new calling, to be a prophet, to speak his word, God's word to the people in exile. And God was working out his purpose in Ezekiel's life even in the midst of the disaster of his people being taken away, God gave Ezekiel a new calling. And so we know that God will bring glory to himself even through our tragedies and our difficulties. As we continue in our passage in verse 4, it says, And as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and flat fire flashing forth continually. Verse 4 today begins what is a moving and stirring and inspiring passage of Scripture. Perhaps you have read Ezekiel chapter 1 in the past and have wondered about all of the things that he saw. And we know that the things that Ezekiel saw are maybe strange and unearthly. They are not things that we we normally see. But let God's word speak to you today about the majesty and glory of God, because his prophet Ezekiel was given an awesome privilege for us to see the glory of God. And so Ezekiel, how many thousands of years ago, wrote it down for us that we might be encouraged to Let us remember as we look into this passage that our God is glorious and mighty. He is high and exalted. The prophet is moved by a rushing wind and a fiery bright cloud that surrounds him with flashes of lightning. And this is very common in scripture. When you read when God reveals himself, it is often through wind and fire or other natural phenomena And you can recall Moses' encounters with God on Mount Sinai. We never read that Moses simply sauntered into God's presence casually and sat down and had a conversation. It was nothing like that. And I think this should guard us also against the false teachers who are out there, and they are out there. And perhaps you have read them or seen their books, who speak in Flippant ways about how they met or had a vision of God. And I recall one writer who wrote a book about how he supposedly went to heaven and was shown around heaven as if he was a tourist on a tour. You had the sense that he was hanging out with Jesus. And I have every reason to think that this author was a false teacher, that he did not have a vision of heaven because every time god reveals himself to man it is overwhelming and we must remember the glory of god and here ezekiel sees god's glory moses was dumbfounded by the burning bush that wasn't consumed and isaiah then the well-known passage in isaiah 6 isaiah cried out that he was a sinful man from a sinful people And Paul and John in the New Testament fell on their faces before the glory of the risen Christ. And so it would be for any of us. If the risen Jesus came here in this sanctuary, we would all fall on our faces. Now listen to Ezekiel's description of being in the very presence of God's glory. And he sees a vision here. <clears throat> and verse 10, and for the likeness of their faces, and he's talking about the living, these living creatures who are around God's throne. They each had a human face. They had four had the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. And such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. And each creature had two wings, and each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward, and wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. What we see here seems may seem to us as almost strange and unworldly because Ezekiel sees four exalted angels. They're described later in his book in chapter 10 as cherubim. And they are, we believe commentators would say, an exalted rank of angels that are in the very presence of God. And they had wings and they had faces like a man and an ox and a lion and an eagle very well-known parts of God's creation. And these living creatures moved, and they looked in every direction. And beside them, in verse 15, we read that there were wheels. And I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, each one for each of the four of them. And there have been many odd and very strange interpretations of what the wheels are, and I won't go into that. Some of them are honestly bizarre. But I would only say that they give us a picture of a divine war chariot. And we don't have chariots anymore in our day, but in Ezekiel's day, chariots were an essential part of an army's fighting equipment. And very often the king went out in the middle of his armies in the largest and probably the most elaborate chariot. He was in the middle of his people. And such were the chariots in his day, perhaps like tanks are in our day. So we see these strange and striking and um, glorious descriptions. Majestic beings with four faces and giant wheels. And these are all part of Ezekiel's vision of the very presence of God. The glory of our great God. In verse 26, we read uh, the prophet's reaction. It gives us the central portion of this vision of God's glory. And here Ezekiel is almost at a loss to describe what he sees because dwelling in unapproachable light was a likeness with a human appearance. In verse 28, he says, And I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And Ezekiel does, again, what any of us would do we would fall on our face before the majesty and glory of God. It reminds me in Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John fell on his face when he was confronted by the risen Christ in all his glory. It's almost certain that Ezekiel, even though he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, must have struggled to find the words to describe what he saw. And it's admittedly not easy for us to imagine what he saw. But let us come back and recall and remember again, this is a vision of the majesty of the God we serve, a close-up view for us, given to bless us and encourage us. Let that comfort you today in our Lord's Day worship. And let us ask the question, how can we restore a vision the majesty and glory of God in our lives and in our churches. First, let us restore a vision of God's glory by seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity who took on a human nature for you and me and became incarnate. He is our Lord and Savior. He is our shepherd who says in Matthew 28, 20, that he, I will be with you until the end of the age. He is always with us. He is a glorious shepherd who knows all of his sheep. In John ten twenty-seven, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Jesus is our prophet. He reveals to us God's will. He is our priest who gave himself up for us as a perfect offering. And he is our king who rules and defends us. And in this day when the church is challenged more and more by a hostile culture, it is a comfort to know that Christ is our shepherd and our king. And you may recognize again the words of the shorter catechism of how Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king how the glory of God is shown for us in Christ when Jesus took all of our sins and all of our punishment for breaking God's law on himself. And his perfect obedience and his perfect righteousness counts for you today if you have trusted in him. Think of how glorious our faith is. We worship a risen and living Savior who loves us and gave himself for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Meditate this day on the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Second, let us see the glory of God in our worship. Perhaps some of you have been to churches or visited a church where the worship perhaps seemed to you rather shallow and maybe flippant and possibly man-centered. Perhaps the pastor of the church was a kind of celebrity who seemed to draw more attention to himself than to Christ and his word. Perhaps the preaching and the sermon of the pastor sounded more like a therapy session rather than exalting a glorious God and a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel's day, he had the same thing. In Babylon, where he was exiled, the religion was polytheistic. There were many gods. The Babylonians worshipped perhaps a dozen or more gods and had temples all throughout the city dedicated to each of the gods and goddesses. At each year, the statue of one of the gods named Marduk, who was the chief of the Babylonian gods, would be taken in a procession and it would be marched, as it were, down the street, Babylon and taken into the temple of Marduk, where the emperor of Babylon and the nobility would worship and pay homage. Now pause for a minute and think about the contrast of towing a statue of a god into a temple with the vision we have read today of Ezekiel, of a Glorious and majestic and holy God, exalted and lifted on high. Think what a difference that was. I know that Ezekiel and the believers in Babylon saw that and we see it today because there are idols around us too. Let us also, third, see God, the glory of God in suffering and difficulty. When you are and we are in the fire of trials, it is easy to turn our eyes away from God onto ourselves and onto our feelings, and that can be a strong temptation. Many of you have perhaps been through very difficult and fiery trials in your life, perhaps physical or spiritual suffering, and I would never want to minimize that. And it can be very difficult and challenging to think in terms of God's glory when you are struggling. But remember, again, in verse 1 of our passage, Ezekiel was in exile. He was suffering. He was had been taken away from his homeland and his temple and perhaps his family. It's not difficult to imagine the trials that he was suffering, too. But Ezekiel says that God will be merciful and will be forgiving and will be bring restoration to his people later in his book. We read that. And there is an often quoted passage in the New Testament that I will frequently read in the hospital with patients from Romans 8, that in all things God works for the good of those whom he loves and who he has called according to his purpose. So God, thousands, 2,000 or so years ago or more, called Ezekiel to his purpose, a prophet who was struggling and suffering. And so for you, God has a purpose and will bring good from your suffering and struggles. And last, let us see the glory of God in the church. And let us have a restored vision of God's glory in the church. And I probably don't need to tell most of you that the state of the church in America today is not one to encourage. I have to say that I am often very discouraged by what I read and what I hear on blogs and the news and the compromise that I hear about in many churches today. And it seems almost weekly that I read about another church or another denomination that has turned away from the gospel, that has bowed its knee to the ideologies of the world. And perhaps those are today's idols. Again, we bow the knee to ideologies and philosophies. It is not difficult to see what happens when we take our eyes off the majesty and glory of God and we turn it to the world and we turn it to the world's way of thinking. When we lose a vision for God's glory and his greatness, we will be tempted to bow a knee to an idol of today. Let us pray that God will strengthen and bless faithful churches today. Let us pray today that we will have a restored and renewed vision of the glory of God. And we've spent just a few minutes today looking back into a chapter in the Old Testament where we see a majestic and mighty and holy God. It's also my prayer today that you, Eastbridge Church, as you go through this season in your church's life, as you are looking for a pastor, that you will hold on to this, that this will encourage you today, that the mighty and gracious and awesome God that we serve is still your leader and your shepherd as you go through the search of looking for a pastor, I pray for you, and I pray that passages like this in the Bible will strengthen you to remember God's grace, his glory, his excellent mercy, his love for you, his grace to you poured out in Jesus Christ, the one who is your shepherd and our shepherd today. So let us be encouraged and let us go from this place with a renewed vision of the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Father today, we thank you for the Bible and your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the privilege of worshiping you in your presence and I ask today that this chapter from uh, a prophet in the Old Testament would be real, that it would be a wonderful encouragement today, that as we read about visions of creatures and wheels and, Lord, your your awesome majesty, that we would come away blessed. And I pray today, I pray and ask your blessing, Father, on Eastbridge as they are moving forward, and I pray, Father, that you would give them your grace and And that you would send them a leader in your time. And Lord, help them to trust you with that. Lord, we pray and ask all this now in Jesus' name.